Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Join us as we, for the first week, take a trip back to the year 1996. That's right, it's episode one of our 1996 year in review. Uh, the year that yours truly came into the world. Whoa. It just so happens to be a really, really bad year for movies. Am I selling this? How's my pitch? Uh, yeah, I know people are totally sticking it into the rest yeah. of this episode now. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, is I was actually having this discussion with uh, one of my best friends, Chad Johnson. Shout out to him. He sometimes listens to the episodes. I, I'll, uh, I'll tell him I shout out to him. Maybe he'll listen to this one. I, highly doubtful considering the topic we're discussing, but let's get to that <laughs> later. He, yeah. I was telling him that this was a pretty sad year for film. Now, when I kind of look at the movies that came out in 1996, there are a lot of fun movies, but a very, very short list of quote-unquote good movies, yeah. like true classics and, and fine examples of great cinema. But there are a ton of really fun movies that came out this year. And today we will not be discussing either one of those. <laughs> yeah, you've been bugging me to get watching my 1996 movies for weeks now, and I've just been procrastinating so hard because I'm looking at the list. I'm like, I don't want to watch any of these. I know. <laughs> but, uh, th there are some gems in there, don't get me wrong, and we will definitely be discussing them. I mean, we talked about The Rock, what, last week? That and, was last week, uh, yeah. That was, that was a lot of fun doing that. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, beginning of 1996, year in review. Can't wait to do it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I guess technically the last week uh, would have been episode one because we talked about The Rock, but that is eh, true. This is semantics. Kind of, yeah, we're we're kind of used to when we talk about the Oscar films, but we're kind of changing up the format a little bit, and and we're just kind of running with it. So uh, we apologize if it seems confusing, but uh, whatever. There's not many of you, so we don't have to worry about it too much. I would say we just don't plan it that well, but we've been planning this for like months. So that's true. And we're just hashing it out on air right now. That's Good true. for us. Yes. Manny, what? please tell the people they can find us on social media if they haven't already. If they haven't, they can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can find us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. They can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. They can also, if they want to listen to us and subscribe to us, they can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Luminary, Spotify, Anywhere you get your podcasts, we're most likely found. And if you have a certain podcasting app and we're not on it, please let me know, and I will rectify that situation post-haste. Post-haste? Yes. That was, I believe, the first documented use of the word post-haste on the podcast. I'm a big <laughs> fan. I'm glad you enjoyed it. The, the old-timey dialect in the, uh, in the movie that we're watching this week probably, probably inspired you. It truly did. It truly yeah. did. Uh, Manny, you're, you are amazing sometimes, you know that, because, oh, uh, let's face it, I've taught billing on the podcast, but this is, this is your show. Uh, this is like, you, you, you run the show here, uh, and you have time for all, all that social media, and, uh, you also had time to watch no fewer than 10 movies this week, is that correct? I hit double digits, I hit double digits, and, uh, as, as our listeners will find out when we get into the meat of this episode, uh, the reason I watched so many is I wanted to get the bad taste out of my mouth out of the movie we watched uh spoiler alert for uh the english patient it's a boring movie <laughs> so to offset the uh somewhat somewhat snooze fest 
that we had to endure for this week's episode. Uh, but I will get into it. I didn't hate this movie. I, I'm, we're, we're really, really selling it well. I we're know. I know. Spoil, <laughs> spoiler alert. While I make fun of this movie, I did not hate it. But yeah. to offset it, uh, I watched, uh, yes, a, a, a nice double-digit 10 mostly really great movies. Yeah, a, a meaty amount of, of solid cinema right here. Yeah, so I'm going to start off with I, I watched Tremors, which for those of you that listen to our top 20 movies of all time, our, our favorite top 20, uh, Tremors is my number 20. And I was super excited to rewatch it again, and it still holds up. And I was in such joy watching this movie because it brings me such joy and if i'm not mistaken you haven't seen this sam i have i watched it okay. uh with my friend montana hi montana if you're listening i know you're not but uh we watched it when we were like i don't know 10 years old mm. so it's for all intents and purposes i i have not seen this mm. but i have a long time ago fuck me i love this movie i had <laughs> such a great time i had such a great time watching it and yeah it was it, it brought me nothing but joy and then uh I did a double feature on Saturday with my best friend T-Bone. Shout out to T-Bone who does listen to the episodes, but I'm pretty sure he's about four or five episodes behind. He tends to binge us all. Like he'll do like an eight-hour extravaganza of our episodes. <laughs> it's kind of weird that God, way. I feel bad for anyone who does that. I know. <laughs> the funny thing is, I don't is, even want to listen to us talk for that long. <laughs> I know he. I think he did. A, I think he had to drive. I don't know if he had to, but he. He drove up to see his family up in Fort St. John, and he downloaded a bunch of our podcasts. And then he listened to him a bunch on the way back. And I said, I'm like, let me know when you get back and we can hang out. And he texted me when he got home. He's like, I don't want to hang out with you. I've just been listening to you for eight hours. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> that the truth? Uh, but I, uh, I, we did a double feature, and there's a movie I had wanted to watch with him for a very long time. Uh, it's this movie called Stand and Deliver. It's the true. It's the true story, and by true, I mean based on uh, actual events uh, of this math teacher in uh, a Latino part of LA who starts to teach the students uh, advanced math, and he has to. It's you know, it's kind of the underdog story. He has to fight the system, and people don't believe that these impoverished children in a Latino community are capable of doing high math. And this teacher takes them under his wing and, and starts teaching them calculus and, and all this high-end math because he believes that they can do it if they are given the proper motivation and uh, leadership. And, uh, and if, they're, if, they, if he shows them that he believes in them, that they will do it. It's a, with, for those that don't know, uh, T-Bone is a math teacher, so I knew this was a movie that he would probably like. And it's so funny. Uh, uh, when he comes over on on the Saturday, he came over in the early afternoon, and he brought over food. And I was, I was, we hadn't decided what we were gonna watch. And I was like, "Well, what do you want to watch?" He's like, "I was," and I in my mind is like, "I got a couple of ideas." And he's like, "Well, I've I've got." He's like, "I, I definitely want to watch something with you." And I said, "What do you want to watch?" He's like. Uh, stand deliver and I was like holy fuck I'm like that's the one I was gonna pick <laughs> so we uh, we watched it and he really liked it he really enjoyed it and then we watched minority report because he'd never seen it and I was shocked that he hadn't seen a Steven Spielberg Tom Cruise film 
Have you seen Minority Report, Sam? I have not. Holy shit balls. <laughs> I might have to well, add what? that. I might have to add that to uh fuck, you know, fuck that. That's going right on the list of the movies that I want us to watch. Uh, tack my, it on. Yeah, definitely tacking it on. Uh, oh, you know what? I have to start that new list because I lost the list when I lost the computer. <laughs> oh, shit. Motherfucker. That's well, right. Well, it's going – so Minority Report's the only movie on the list as of right now that you want me to watch. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know. No, no. I don't This is a. This is a movie I want to do for a podcast. I see. Yeah, so don't add it to your list just yet. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I won't say too much about it, but it is – it's the first time that Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise make a film together, and it's well worth the wait. It is a – it's such a great, fun, amazing movie. Uh, then to continue on the knocking films off my 1996 list, I watched Happy Gilmore. Now, for those that don't know me, uh, I am not an Adam Sandler fan. Uh, not at all. And when this movie came out in 1996, I didn't like it back then. And it had been a long time since I watched this, so I decided I'm going to give it a chance. And I won't lie, I enjoyed it more than I remembered. Really? It, yeah, I did. There was definitely some parts where I was like, this is utter horseshit. But there was parts where I was definitely laughing. Now, the one part of the movie, the most famous part in the movie – it even made me laugh back in 1996. The price is wrong, bitch. The, that whole scene. <laughs> it is astounding. And even now, like now being obviously much more critical of movies, it's actually astounding what an incredible job Barb Barker does in that little cameo. He actually acts very well. And the other thing I did, I had no idea is that the uh, – I guess the the female lead, his Adam Sandler's love interest, is Julie Bowen, who's one of the leads on Modern Family. Oh, yeah, I've never watched that show. It's well, Modern Family is really good. Hmm. Uh, I was astounded. I didn't really recognize her until I was like, I I'm like, I where do I know her from? And I look her up, and I it was jaw dropping. There and the other thing, fuck, I wish I had the I wish I had the IMDb up in front of me. The one thing I. Uh, the one of the other things I really enjoyed about Happy Gilmore is the actor that plays Shooter McGavin is really good. He's really good at playing that villain. Yeah, Christopher McDonald. Thank you. He's he's really good and really funny in this movie. Uh, yeah, I was actually surprised at how much I enjoyed watching Happy Gilmore. Yeah, that's good. It's uh, I am also not an Adam Sandler fan, but it's one of the only Adam Sandler comedies that I enjoy and will revisit. And yeah. I plan on revisiting this before we do our uh, our full 1996 episode at the end of all this. Yeah. It was, it, it's quite a good one. It was. It was enjoyable. There's some parts I I was just kind of rolling my eyes and uh, – but I, uh, yeah. Anyways, happy Gilmore. You know what's, oh, you know what's actually occurred to me is that uh, there's probably a generation – I shouldn't say a generation. There, there are legal adults who probably don't know who Bob Barker is. Holy fuck, you're right. He, he stopped hosting The Price is Right in 2007, according to Wikipedia. Jesus. So for any – there are people – there are legal adults born in, like, 2002 who probably never never stayed home sick and watched The Price is Right. Who think that Drew Carey is the host of Price is Right? Yeah. That hurts my heart. 
don't get me wrong. I I am not one of these people. I definitely remember staying homesick from school and watching The Price is Right with Bob Barker all day. But uh, it's no longer a universal truth. Wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my my nieces and nephews, who are in their teens, if they knew who Bob Barker is. Which which is kind of a shame because the scene in Happy Gilmore with him getting in a fight is totally uh, predicated on you knowing who he is and knowing that he's just a very pleasant, very uh, very uh, I don't know very pleasant individual. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's what makes it and so. And the fact that's that he's getting so into the fight is the joke. Yes. Who could you possibly have in that role if they remade it today? Tom Hanks? Oh, that's a good call. That's yeah. a good call. Yes. <laughs> Tom Hanks as himself getting yeah. into a fist fight. <laughs> it still wouldn't be it, it still wouldn't be as good as Bob Barker, but that's a good call. Well done, sir. Yeah. I'm glad I got that one quick. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh and then I watched Rogue One, which I feel is a greatly unappreciated movie. I feel that a lot of people don't like it, but I fucking love this movie. I fucking love Rogue One. Love it. Love it. I, uh, I, this might be a good one for us to do an episode on, not because, I mean, both of us have seen it, obviously. I mm-hmm. think both of us have seen it a couple of times. Oh, I think I've, I've seen, I've seen it. Times. I've seen it numerous times. I, I would definitely like to revisit it because I remember being very underwhelmed by Rogue One. I think it's it's certainly better than a number of the newer Star Wars movies. It's better than Solo. It's better than uh, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, but I I remember being kind of lukewarm on it. So uh, it, it might be one for me to revisit. I just remember thinking it it was kind of, it was paced very strangely. And uh, I don't know. I, I just don't really remember a lot about it. Interesting. All right. Well, it's yeah. definitely one that we could revisit down the line then. But yeah, I, yeah. I had a great time watching it. Then I watched this... Uh, I guess you could call it a romantic comedy. No, it's not a romantic comedy. A family dramedy? It's called The Family Stone. Now, I saw this when it came out on DVD, and I can't remember the year. But 05. 05. I definitely didn't see this in the theaters, but I 100% saw it on DVD. And also, it's listed as a comedy drama romance on okay. IMDb. It it has romance elements in it for sure, but that is that I'm glad it's the third thing listed. What number one is family? Uh, comedy drama romance. Comedy drama romance. Yeah, I guess if you have comedy drama romance in in those three, it's it, it's not it's not one of those laugh out loud comedies. I'm trying to think of something that's very similar. Uh, anyways, it's. It's just about this family that is getting together for Christmas. And in 2005, it tries to be a little bit more of a modern family as there are three brothers and two sisters and obviously a mother and a father. And uh, the one brother is deaf and gay and married to a black gay man. And they're adopting a baby. So they're they're trying to be very progressive. Uh, there's quite a few very well-known actors in this movie. It's loaded with great talent. And, yeah, it's Craig T. Nelson and Diane Keaton and Dermot Mulroney and Sarah Jessica Parker, Claire Danes, Luke Wilson, uh, Rachel McAdams, 
and I think that's all the big names. Mm-hmm. Um, it has this uh, one of the the other sister that's in the movie. For those of you that care about it, I she plays the mother of the vampire family in Twilight. I don't know the actress's name, but that's who she is. Um, I do not care. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's it's a movie that for some reason I really really enjoy. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil too much of it because there are some surprises in the film. Not I I would never they're not twists. There's just some surprises that occur in the movie that I feel are that are earned and well done. It's it's just one of those movies that it's the Family Stone is a movie I recommend. I'd recommend for people that are looking for something easy watching. Yeah, it's 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 just a movie that I just happen to really enjoy. That I think very few people have seen. Uh, then I decided to watch. Uh, last week I talked about a documentary uh, about the movie Galaxy Quest, so I watched Galaxy Quest, and laughed and giggled and had a great time. And it really, really made me miss Alan Rickman so much, as he's so great in this movie, and reminded me what an incredibly gifted comedic actor Justin Long is and what an amazing comedic actor Sam Rockwell is. It's Galaxy Quest was a ton of fun. I will probably be watching it again soon. And then I watched Michael Clayton because you did and awesome. I wanted to revisit it because it's one of my favorite movies. Didn't make my top 20, but it was a late cut and it's just as good as always that movie is fucking brilliant i'm i feel that it's i still feel it's probably george clooney's best performance could be arguably tom wilkinson's greatest performance i i can't remember seeing a better tom wilkinson performance the only Uh, one i would say is in the bedroom yeah i was just gonna say i think in the bedroom and this are the only two tom wilkinson performances that uh, that come to mind. I mean, I was originally introduced to Wilkinson in the uh, Dark Knight trilogy, but where he's I mean, that's where that's he's overacting a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's funny. But like yeah, if... I, I love him in this movie, especially like I said last week. That opening monologue is fantastic. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And and the scene where Clooney runs into him on the street and he's got all the baguettes, <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Oh fuck, Michael. Michael Clayton is so good. For those listening, if you've not seen Michael Clayton, I implore you to watch it. It is a brilliant film. Then I watched two pure comedy gems, and that's Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Again, one of my favorite movies. Didn't make the top twenty, but was a late cut. I can. It, the funny thing is, is I can watch Groundhog Day over and over again, which is funny considering the premise of the movie. Mm-hmm. I might consider Groundhog Day Bill Murray's finest performance. It would be. I'd have to really among the movies that people associate with him the most, for sure. Yeah. Oh god, I I I honestly just can't get enough of Groundhog Day. I fucking love that movie. And then the last one is my third favorite movie of all time, the 1985 
classic film, Back to the Future. And it still fucking holds up. Watching it just made me so happy, just filled me with joy, took me back. Oh, God. And I'm not even lying right now. Just even thinking about it and talking about it, I want to watch it again. And this is a movie I watched last night. I fucking love this movie. And uh, well, you've uh, you've obviously seen Back to the Future. Indeed. Have you seen the other the the sequels as well? No. All right. That's something I want us to rectify on air. Yeah. Fairly soon. Definitely, I would definitely be down for that. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's all ten of the movies that I watched, Sam. You uh, did oh, you watch? That did, was all. Did you watch ten movies as well? I did not. Uh, I I have what I thought was a pretty busy life until uh, until I start talking to you about life. Um, I, I've I've mostly been watching. I've been watching some TV. I've mentioned a few times that I've been watching Parks and Rec. Yeah. Um, for for a first watch through. So I've been binging a lot of that. So as far as movies go, I actually managed to only get to three other than uh, other than the English Patient this week, um, and well, all I... three of them I'd actually seen before. Um, one of which we have an episode on, but I don't know what episode number it is off the top of my head. Yeah, I uh, lost my episode list when my computer died. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I can tell you that I wanted to make Jordan watch. So, so when we watched The Rock last week and we were talking about Nicolas Cage and his tendency to overact a bit, um, I said, oh, you want a crazy Nicolas Cage movie? Gotta watch Face Off. So we watched Face Off. Awesome. Uh, this was only my second watch. My first watch, as you recall, is when we watched it for the first time. Yes. And I have to say the novelty of the plot and just how batshit insane it is did wear off just a tad. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's I, in my opinion, better on first watch. Um, but nonetheless, it is still ridiculously fun. Uh, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta are, as we like to say, eating a couple of big old ham sandwiches. Oh, they are <laughs> swimming in the river of ham. Swimming in the in the in the river of ham for sure. Um, and, and it's just the most ludicrous plot to a movie that you could ever imagine. It is peak '90s action. It yes. is spectacular. It is spectacular cheesy filmmaking. John Woo is an artist, and it is spectacular. Anyone who hasn't seen Face Off. And wants to, wants to watch a really, really, really dumb action movie with two way over the top performances and just have a ton of fun eating popcorn. Uh, face off, easy pick. Yeah, and 100%. I, think, I think you would echo, echo that. Oh, one hundred percent. This movie is pure gold. Like it's, it's such, it's a fun ride. If you want something fun where you don't have to think, despite if you if you sit down and think about it, the plot of this is pretty insane. But even though it's insane and kind of convoluted, it's still they dumb it down so much that it's pretty easy to follow. Indeed, it's fu- it's funny if you try to explain this movie, it would actually be harder to explain it than it would be to watch it. I I, I went I underwent the exact same thing trying to explain to people what I watched this week uh, <laughs> just at work. It was kind of hilarious. Uh, but Nicolas Cage that that might be my favorite Nicolas Cage performance just in terms of sheer comedic value he and the dialogue that he has to work with uh especially in the opening third of the movie the dialogue that nicholas cage has to work with is uh is ridiculous um my mine i haven't watched it in forever Mm. but mine might be raising arizona 
Oh yeah, that's that's uh, that's actually one that I haven't seen. Yeah, but I know that a lot of people will uh, will choose that. And of course, he did win an Oscar for leaving Las Vegas. He did, but in, I I really want to rewatch that because my recollection of his performance in it, while good, he's just kind of being Nicolas Cage, but not in the kind of winking at the at the at the viewer kind of stuff. He's just. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to revisit that movie. Uh, the next one that I watched was actually one that we would have talked about the same episode as Michael Clayton because it was a Best Picture nominee in the same year. Uh, and that was Juno, uh, which is a, in my opinion, I think I use, I use the word overrated, or sorry, not overrated. I use the word underrated an awful lot. Um, but I really think Juno is like underappreciated, underrated, because it's I... not really it's not really ranked among the greatest comedies of of the last like couple of decades it truly is a rewatchable uh spectacularly fun heartwarming touching movie and i i enjoy it more and more every time i don't know what i don't know what you think about that i i liked you know i just don't think you can really call a movie that was nominated for best picture underrated that, Un- that's entirely fair underappreciated and uh what's the other word uh underappreciated and I might even go like, I don't know, un like not even not quite unknown, but lesser known. Like mm-hmm. I, I just think I it, I one hundred percent agree it's underappreciated. I don't think it gets the recognition. I don't think it gets the recognition it deserves as a as a comedy as a as a comedy classic when paired up with other movies you hear people talk about great comedies, but yeah, underrated as a comedy, but as, as a film I I. I, th- I would always have a hard time saying if it was nominated for Best Picture. I don't think you say it's underrated, but I, I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It's just I usually – this is this is seriously growing to be, I think, one of my favorite comedies. And it's just – it's not really one if, – if you tell somebody top ten favorite comedies of all time, go. Very few people would say Juno, I feel like. I agree. Yeah. Which is just kind of strange because I, I love this movie. Um, what a year for Michael Sarah, by the way. Same year as Superbad. And then he goes and uh, <laughs> co I guess you can't really call him a co-star, but he has the uh, second billing on a uh, pretty darn good, uh, pretty darn good movie. Uh, he's, sec- he's second billed on this movie. I have to imagine he is. Uh, no, Jason Bateman's got to. Jason sec- Bateman, you think? Okay. I would, I would think so. He would like. Maybe I- it's just maybe it's just because when this movie came out, Michael Sarah was the name that I knew the most. True. Maybe that's why I just assumed he was second build. My my only problem with Juno really is that the relationship between Jason Bateman, uh, b- between his character and Ellen Page's character Juno is a little bit creepy. It's sort of there's some sexual tension that's kind of hinted at yeah. between them, and Juno's a 16 year old pregnant girl who's trying to uh, put her baby up for adoption, which is kind of strange. But uh, Ju- <laughs> Juno, other than that, is like, seriously a damn good comedy. Who do you got for second build? I'm just looking. Yeah. Oh, that's not the answer I wanted. I'm I'm not too concerned about it. I'm I'm sure you're probably right. As as you tend to be. Sometimes. <laughs> I've learned not to get into arguments with you over these kinds of things. <laughs> uh the uh final movie that I watched this week was one that I had been waiting to rewatch for a long time. It's one that I've seen several times already. I actually first watched it with my family on uh, Christmas Day, 2009, the year that it came out. 
uh, and that is the sci-fi movie District 9. Uh, for those who have not seen this movie, it's, uh, I guess you can't really call it an alien invasion movie. It's, it's, uh, it's an alien movie. It, it's, it's an alien invasion movie in the same way that Arrival is an alien invasion movie, which is to say that it isn't, I guess. Yeah, it's not. Uh, <laughs> but um, District 9 is a really, really interesting movie about aliens arriving on Earth, and basically uh, they're arriving as refugees, and they're put into these uh, South African slums, and uh, the slum is called District 9. And it is about uh, the way that they're treated. It's a very clear, not very subtle at all commentary on uh, apartheid in South Africa. Um, and it's it, it's a really interesting movie front to back. The lead uh, character, Vickis, uh, is a very good actor. I, I actually don't even know the actor's name off the top of my head. He's, he's relative unknown. Oh, God damn it. That's going to bug me. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, Char Charlotte Copley. Thank you. Yeah, Charlotte Copley. Uh, not not a, a an A-lister by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that that adds to the experience of the movie. It's kind of set up in like a documentary format, um, and yeah. I think the fact that there's not very many big names in it really uh, really adds to the feeling that it's an actual documentary and adds to the realism to it a little bit. And Charlotte Copley's performance in the lead is very 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 good. He it's plays astounding. An, he plays an agent whose job it is to evict uh, all of these agents from, or excuse me, uh, an agent whose job it is to evict all these aliens from their homes in District 9 as they move them to a different facility. Uh, anybody who wants a fun sci-fi movie with some social commentary thrown in there, um, I don't know if uh, things are getting too harsh in the real world that people still want to watch uh, movies with with tons of racial, tons of heavy-handed racial commentary in them. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who do want that right now. If so, I think District Nine is a uh, is a great place to start. One hundred percent agree. It, it's it's fun front to back though. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this movie. It blew me away when I saw it in theaters. Mm -hmm. Blew me away, and unfortunately. Uh, the the writer director whose name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, Blomkamp. Thank you, Neil Blomkamp has not even come close to approaching this level of expertise. Yeah, the the ending of this movie has always really stuck with me. It's not like a massive twist or anything. Uh, I, I've just always found the ending of the movie to be really, I don't know, sort of uh, almost humbling. Like yeah. The the decisions that the main character makes, just like I can't imagine what i would do in the same situation as him again i'm trying not to spoil this but the uh the things that he goes through and the uh i don't know the decisions that he makes at the end of the movie uh just always kind of resonated with me oh this it's, movie is so good very very interesting it's a spectacular film a spectacular film you watched three spectacular films this week yeah i got my money's worth with the three that i did watch yeah made up for what you had to watch for yeah, what a, <laughs> I just got to say, what a world I live in where I watched four movies this week, if you include the one we're about to talk about, and I'm friends with a person that I feel almost, not guilty, but I'm like, wow, I only watched four movies this week. If I, <laughs> if I was talking to anyone else in my friend group, that would be probably four more than any of them watched. <laughs> That's the benefit of me not having much of a life. Yeah, join the club, my friend. Yeah. All right, so we got the fun stuff out of the way. Now it's time for us to dive into the first of the five Best Picture nominees from the year 1996. And this is The English Patient, released December 6, 1996. 
uh, written and directed by Anthony Mengele. It's based off the novel by, and I am going to butcher this guy's last name, uh, Michael Adonchier. I'm going to say that's what it is. Uh, starring Ralph Fiennes, or Rafe Fiennes, but it's listed as Ralph. That's Rafe Fiennes. Uh, Juliette Binoche, William Defoe, and Kristen Scott Thomas. It has a meta score of 87. It went 9 for 12 at the Oscars this year, winning Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress for Juliette Binoche, Best Cinematography for John Seale, Best Art Direction, Set, Direc Set Decoration, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Score. The three that it did not win in were Best Actor for Ralph Fiennes or Rafe Fiennes, uh, Best Actress for Kristen Scott Thomas, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It had a budget of $27 million. That seems so incredibly low. And it grows 78 in the U.S. and 231 worldwide. The plot, at the close of World War II, a young nurse tends to a badly burned plane crash victim. His past is shown in flashbacks revealing an involvement in a fateful love affair. Sam, I know for a fact you hadn't seen this movie going in, and in fact, the only reference you had to this movie is a Seinfeld episode. Plus the, plus the, I guess, uh, little bit of tidbits I would provide you and my very spoiler-free and uh, muted thoughts on the film— Sam, heading into watching this, I, I want to know, just before you started watching this movie, what were your thoughts? And then I want to hear your spoiler-free thoughts after you finish the film. You know, I always try to keep an open mind going into any movie. I always try to uh, avoid as many preconceived notions of movies as I can. You know, uh, Manny, very well that I avoid watching trailers uh, as you do i usually will avoid even looking up cast lists uh or or just any anything that might give me any sort of notion about what a movie is because yes. the last thing i want is to go in with some sort of preconceived notion that changes my actual perception of the movie and i try to do that with all of them but like you said um i i can't always do that this is one of those instances uh the seinfeld the famous seinfeld episode where elaine seems to be the only person in new york city who doesn't like uh, the English patient and finds it horribly boring as opposed to all of her friends who go to see it multiple times and love it and her boss. That is my experience of this movie uh, in the moments before I turned it on. That is, that is what I understood about this movie. That and just the general reputation that it has of, of, as being like an Oscar Beatty sort of movie. Yes. Just a very, a very overly self-serious, overly long romance yes in in wartime it's yes. just like the perfect the perfect storm of oscar bait okay so just before you're about to talk about after you've seen the film mm -hmm. you're 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 putting it in your blu-ray player <laughs> he says with heavy air quotes are what are your what are, I, i'm only curious because i know what's going to say when after you finish the film were you looking forward or anticipating, or even perhaps even eagerly anticipating watching the Best Picture winner of this year? No. <laughs> okay. uh, to be honest with you, I was kind of dreading it. And again, I even feel guilty saying that because I love to, to give every movie the equal chance that it deserves to wow me. And I just feel like coming in with negative expectations is already robbing 
the filmmakers of that opportunity. Nice. I feel like it's already putting them at a disadvantage. So gotcha. I, I even feel guilty saying that I I was not uh, happy to be watching this movie. I when appreciate I the honesty. Yeah. And after watching it, spoiler-free thoughts? I was happy to be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I gave I really really tried, Manny. I really tried to give this movie uh, the the fair chance that it deserved, but I think I just couldn't. It, it's not. I don't even want to say it's the fault of the preconceived notions that I had about it. It's really. It deserves the reputation that it has. Uh, I was curious watching this movie. Uh, who it was that liked it? Was it was this a critics movie? Was this an audiences movie? Because I was aware that it did relatively well at the box office. It did very and well. R Rotten Tomatoes is not good for a lot of things but one of the things that i think it is good for is measuring that sort of thing who liked it more audiences or critics and both just loved it as an 83 audience score on rotten tomatoes and an 85 uh critic score on rotten tomatoes that's just, just everybody loved this movie yes and this is just one of the instances where i don't get it i mean i get it but i don't get it i at least get where the critics are coming from because to put some positives out there this movie looks spectacular. This movie is very artistically made, clearly. Very, very well acted for the most part. Um, some of the writing leaves something to be desired, but most of the technical aspects of this movie and most of the technical things that it got nominated for, I feel are deserved. And there was clearly a lot of work that, were put, that was put into it. And I can see why, from a critic's perspective, uh, that would give it a relatively high score, even if I didn't personally enjoy the movie as much. The audience, I don't know what the fuck the excuse is for these people, uh, how many people like this movie, because I just, I don't understand. I, it's, I, I don't even have the length in front of me right now. It's, uh, hold on, uh, oh, 162 minutes, so nearly yeah. three hours. 242. And you feel every one of those minutes. You feel every one of those 162 minutes. The romance is just not interesting. I don't. I mean, I just feel like a lot of it is poorly written. Uh, the, maybe not poorly written, but just the dialogue comes off as very pretentious in a lot of spots um, and very overly serious, very self-serious. And it just, I, I found myself not paying attention in a lot of this movie. It was a difficult watch, to say the least. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, to give you an idea of how much of a box office hit this was, if I adjusted the 78 million US it made in 1996 to today, it would rank 21st out of in the 2019 box office, just behind Aquaman. It would be a, it would be 126 million dollars it would have made. So this would have put it ahead of movies like Knives Out, Ford versus Ferrari, Hustlers, Rocket Man, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, Zombieland, Double Tap. This is all movies it would have it would have outdone. It would have it would have been one of the twentieth best box office hits of this year, adjusted for inflation. To give you an idea on how popular this movie was. Now, this is a movie that I saw back in 1996. But oh, sir, I would have seen it in 1997. I would have probably seen this on home video. Because this is around the time I was starting to really get into movies and starting to try to watch the Best Picture nominees and all that. And I remember liking it. Not loving it, liking it. 
but it also allowed me to see what or well allowed me to see what Oscar people were thinking and everything about this movie and the reasons one to me make sense it is it's a it's a period piece it's a romance story it has an actor who goes on who goes through a transformation in regards to the uh, the makeup effects that Ralph Fiennes has to go through. It, it's This is, in my opinion, this movie, like I said to you before, this movie was built for the Oscars. It's an Oscar bait movie. Now, the cinematography in this movie is fucking gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. But I remember watching it back then and being a little bored. And then I kind of go through stretches where it'll be like six, seven years, maybe even ten years. I'm like, I haven't seen The English Patient. I'm like, maybe I should revisit it. And I revisit it. And I'm reminded, I'm like, oh, my God, that was really boring. (laughs) And getting ready to watch it again for this episode, it had been quite a while. In fact, I honestly can't remember the last time I'd watched this movie. It'd be well over ten years, perhaps even more. I, you know, it's been four years since uh, Julie and I got divorced, and her and I were together for 10. I don't think I ever made her sit through this movie, so that's 14 years. So it's been probably more than 14 years since I've seen this. And I won't lie, going into it, I was like, okay, maybe this movie will have grown on me. And it didn't. I, I didn't dislike it as much as you mm-hmm. and i'm looking forward to discussing things about it with you but this it <laughs> when we get to our year review we'll be able to talk more about other films but i i completely understand why this why this one it's it's almost like this movie was manufactured to win oscars Oscar bait, man. Yeah, complete Oscar bait. Okay, uh, th- that's as much as I'll say. Let's dive in the movie because the Let's sooner we start talking about it, the sooner we can end this episode. Because we've got a lot <laughs> Amen, of brother. All right. So we're gonna spoil the 1996 Best Picture winner, The English Patient. In three, two, one. Uh, go fuck yourself. Uh, I I want to start off with something good. The cinematography is fucking outstanding in this front film. to back, gorgeous, gorgeous film, especially the shots of the desert. That opening shot with the desert and the plane, it is stunning. Stunning film. It is just an absolute joy. This is this is a movie that is a joy to, to look at. Yeah, I knew right from the beginning. Uh, I think we open on the cave drawings uh, being sketched out or being painted. Yes. Uh, oh, And I right. knew right from that long take of the drawing, I'm like, this is going to be a treat of visual filmmaking. And I, you had also told me that, that the cinematography in this movie was quite good. But that opening long take of uh, the ultra close-up on the drawing is so beautiful, so very nice. Um, and <laughs> it's almost like they had, uh, Michael Bay as the, uh, cinematographer on this movie. Cause there's a lot of sunsets, <laughs> awful lot of sunsets in this movie, but they're all gorgeous. And it's also very orange, very orange movie. Yes. Uh, a lot of the sunsets are like that, but it looks beautiful. Uh, we get a shot near the beginning. I think it's when, um, uh, what's the lead's name? Is it Almashi? Al, uh, Count Almazi? Yeah, sure. Um, 
when he's being taken in the caravan when he's uh <clears throat> when he's being taken on camelback yeah uh, back to civilization uh we see uh we see the camels against the setting sun on the dunes and i remember just being like holy shit this is beautiful and there, there's a number of those shots oh the yeah movie. like there, there was no shortage of shots that uh made me made my jaw drop in this movie yeah the, like i said the cinematography and some of the the technical wins that this movie got were so richly deserved and i'm just trying to find the cinematography so this one over evita fargo flyaway home and michael collins uh which i've seen fargo but it has been a while so i'm excited to see that uh do you know who the cinematographer on fargo was I have to assume it was our boy, it, Roger Deakins, yeah, right? Yeah, sure was our boy, <laughs> losing uh, yet again. Yeah. Uh, I barely remember Evita. I don't think I've seen Fly Away Home, and I don't think I remember Michael Collins. So, But in all honesty, I, I'm I'm very excited to rewatch Fargo, which is next week's episode. Yeah. So it'll be fun to kind of pit these two movies looks against one another i know there's some really great shots in fargo especially of the snow out on the highway that i'm excited to to see again but in all honesty i i 100 can see why why this won uh best cinematography it's kind of all downhill from there yeah um one other positive i wanted to touch on yeah I, I really like the music for oh, this movie it, I, it did I thought win, the music was excellent it did uh, was win that one of the wins score. sorry was that one of the wins? Yep, yep. It won best yeah. uh, dramatic score. Uh, Gabriel Yared, Yared. Yep. Uh, who most recently we actually indirectly talked about for the lives of others. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I I was uh, scrolling through the uh, English Patient Wikipedia page and his name had already been clicked for some reason, and I went into him and uh, sure enough, he was uh, he was the composer on Lives of Others. So. Yeah, he's obviously very, very talented because the music in this movie uh, very, very well captures the melodramaticism of it. It's, yes, it, it very, it's very over the top, big swelling string scores, um, and it just captures the mood of the movie perfectly. Um, whether you like the mood of that movie is entirely up to you, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> I thought the score was very effective and very well written. Oh, I'm so glad that we're both finding some positives that we both agree on on this film. We're going to have to dig pretty deep for some more, I think. <laughs> uh, the first – one of the first things I have – again, we, we're, we're not going to spend too much time on this movie because yeah. you and I both didn't thoroughly enjoy it. But the uh, Hannah, played by Juliet Binoche, Oscar-winning performance, which in all honesty, re-watching it, I didn't quite see yeah. the win. But uh, the – the four other nominees that year, I hadn't seen any of them. Um, we, we, we do get to see one of them coming up when we watch Secrets and Lies, but we have Joan Allen, an actress I adore in The Crucible, Lauren Bacall in The Mirror Has Two Faces, Barbara Hershey for The Portrait of a Lady, and Marianne Jean-Baptiste Marianne Jean for Secrets and Lies, which we'll be watching down the line. I haven't seen any of those films, so I can't say that her win wasn't worthy, but... It, it didn't, it didn't come across to me as an Oscar-winning performance. It's not a bad performance. I, it just didn't, it just didn't seem like a Oscar-winning performance for me. 
I mean, as we've said, not exactly the strongest year for film. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible that just with the performances, um, it was just there was just nothing really to compete with. It's entirely a possibility. I, I'm looking at some of the other winners for the acting categories, and uh, I mean, a lot of them are in movies that I haven't seen, so I'll have to I'll, we'll have to talk about that at a later date. But some of the nominees are from from performances that are like fine or that are good. Well, I can tell, like, look at, well, I, I, I was going to, like, well, I could go into it, but we actually do have a 1996 year in review episode yeah. coming up, so I'll, maybe I'll leave it for that. For sure. Uh, the, the the one thing, though, is I was just thinking, I'm like, poor Hannah, within, like, five minutes of screen time, her boyfriend and her best friend die. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you just knew in that scene where they're trading, uh, they're, they're exchanging money for, for her to go buy silk. You're like, oh, something, something rough's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. She lost her best friend, boyfriend, and money. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what she was most upset about, too. I would have been. And yeah. it's, there must have been, like, well, not must have been. Obviously, with a two hour and 42 minute movie, there must they probably have like another hour and a half of footage that they didn't even use. But the one scene that could have been played a little bit better with maybe a little bit more added to it is, is shortly after her, her best friend dies and she's obviously shell shocked and, and in mourning is when she walks out into the minefield. A great scene. One of the best scenes in the movie. It's, it's a great scene, but I just kind of wish it just kind of, it just kind of pops out of nowhere. Like we don't get to really see, we don't we don't really get to see her grieving on her friend's death like it just takes like a 5 second shot of her being overwhelmed by those emotions it yeah, just feels just, like the death happens and then she's walking out into the minefield yeah she just kind of comes off as dumb yes right like if they if we had gotten a little bit more of a focus on her being a little bit more shell shocked or inconsolable and then going off and walking off that probably would have been a more effective scene but yes. yeah you're right she just kind of comes off as like just gonna wander into this minefield when the emotion hasn't quite hit fully for yeah. us, the audience. Perfect. Th- that's exact, and it sucks because like that would just make that scene even better. Great, mm-hmm. still a great scene, mm-hmm. and I love both um, Kip, who we actually haven't been introduced to yet. Um, we only see him, but we don't know that he's gonna be coming back. And uh, I think uh, Maddox. The other uh, bomb disposal guy, who's I I, I kind of like that scene he has with her right there. He's he's very caring and and he he can, I think he can either knew or he can tell that the person that died really means something to this girl, and he's so gentle with her as he yeah. kind of leads her safely back out of the minefield. It's it it, it is uh, one of the one of the good scenes in this film. As we are moving along and I'm going to move along quickly. Please. I think one, I think one of the reasons that this movie was really hard for me to really kind of get into and really enjoy is that our main protagonist, Count Elmazi played very well by Ray Fiennes. Uh, he's a complete and utter fucking douchebag, right? A com- he's a fucking creep. He too, is right? a creep and a complete fucking dick. Yeah. <laughs> like he's such a dick. When, I have. Uh, I mean, ju- jumping around a little bit when he, when, when him and uh, Catherine are lo- no longer together uh, at the end of the movie. Uh, the when the she dinner says, scene when she rejects him. Yeah, well, he's a fucking b. 
baby. Holy. And not in like a not in like a charming you need to grow up and then we learn something about ourselves after all and that's like not in a very charming way. He's literally just a fucking creep and an asshole to her. He's a in f- just an irredeemable way in my yeah, opinion. He's an immature douchebag in that scene. Yeah. And so like I have like I have no sympathy for this man. In fact, you know, since we're kind of jumping all over the place, I really don't have any sympathy for Count Almazi un- until she dies and he's trying to go back and save her. Yeah. That's the only time I have sympathy for him, and this is, what, 20 minutes before the film's about to end? So I've got two hours and 20 minutes of me going, what the fuck does she see in this guy? When she has Colin Firth, who worships the ground that she walks on? Mm-hmm. This, again, just plays into the... The girls like bad boys. The girls like guys that treat them like dirt. Yeah, it abs- it plays into so many of those tropes. It plays into the girls like assholes who who treat them like dirt. One of the things that I hated in this movie was uh, the girls like being stalked trope. Uh, <laughs> when he when he follows her through through Cairo through the streets of Cairo, and she's like she she even says like, "Hey, I'm like why would you think that's charming?" And then she fucks him. So like that's why I guess. It's yes. Just, I, I, I will never get over movies reinforcing. Remember, guys, if you like a girl, just stalk her. Okay. Well, well, since we're talking so much about Almazi right now, now, despite the fact that we both think that he's a dick in mm-hmm. this movie, what did you think of the performance? Very good. Yeah. In in uh, in both uh, time periods, uh, him uh, wounded in the bed as mm-hmm. a burn victim, uh, quite good. Um, and even though he's a spoiled fucking child for most of the movie uh he's a very well acted spoiled child he's i mean ray fines obviously has a vision for the character and and uh communicates it clearly to the audience so that's all you can wish from an actor it just so happens that the character he's communicating is unpleasant yes okay i was just i was just curious because like mm-hmm. while i i do find that this the, the character to be a, a just a fucking pretentious immature dickweed <laughs> I like his his acting is superb and on point and well worthy of the nomination that it it got. I wouldn't want him to win, but the the nomination is worthy. Can we talk about this movie's preoccupation with bathing for a second? How many bathing scenes do we need in this movie? How many? What? How many were there? Oh, I shit. don't know. There was well, let's let's go through it. There's the scene of uh There's, of okay. Almacy and Catherine in the tub. Okay, which... I. I Go ahead. Which I, I was going to say is more just like, I guess it's supposed to be more erotic than it is a, an actual bath. But okay, okay. did you uh, did you find it sensual at all? Not really. Have you ever taken a bath with someone? I have. It uh, maybe it's just because I'm six foot one, but yes, just I can feel my shoulder blades rubbing up against the back of the tub. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I I found I found that that scene was one of my favorite scenes of the movie. I found it to be. Very sensual and a, a really well done scene, but I can understand. That's, that's fine. That's yeah. absolutely fine. Okay. So but, then, okay, so we have, we yeah. have that scene. We have uh, Kip washing his hair in yeah. front of Hannah. Yeah. Uh, we have, if if you want to, maybe getting a little technical here, we have Hannah um, sort of undoing just the top, just 
just her top and sort of pouring water on herself, flash dance style and sobbing. <laughs> I would consider that. I would consider that bathing. Okay, we have, actually... spo- we have some sponge baths and some rag baths. Yeah, there's so a, there is very obsessed with bathing. Yeah, there actually is a Hannah bathing scene at the beginning when she first when they first find the the yeah, monastery. Yeah, and I did. Yeah, I didn't even mention that one where she's literally just bathing in a tub. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, you... it's just by the time we got to Kip washing his hair in front of Hannah at the end, I'm like, seriously, enough with the fucking bathing. Well, well, well maybe <laughs> ba- maybe Anthony Mangella likes bathing as much as Michael Bay likes helicopters. Maybe, maybe it's a signature. Yeah, could be. <laughs> um, well, let's move into. Well, why don't we why don't we go like this with um, well, we're talking about the leads. Chris and Scott Thomas. Uh, what did you think of? Her, let's let's go. What'd you think of the character of Catherine? Mm-hmm. And then what'd you think of the, <coughs> pardon me, performance? Um, I don't know. I kind of had trouble connecting to the character of Catherine. Again, it was c- kind of like what we talked about with, like she's just kind of being shitty to Colin Firth for no reason. Uh, who, who's proven he's a perfectly viable husband, I think, and is not really shown to be a flawed character through the movie at all. Mm-hmm. Um, which maybe makes him uninteresting, fine, but I don't know. I, I've had a difficult time connecting to her character. I think what it is is they set it they set it up earlier in the movie where they're at the I think it's when uh Clifton where the Clifton's I I for some reason I because they keep calling Colin first character Clifton, they call him by his last name when his name's mm-hmm. Jeffrey. When the Cliftons arrive and I I can't I think it's it's not Matt. Uh, well, maybe it is Maddox. I can't remember. It's one of the other. Uh, is a map maker called a cartographer? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. When one of the other cartographers is there, they're there. He's talking with Jeffrey, and he just says, "You know, her and I have been lifelong friends. I was the shoulder she was. She would always cry on in, until eventually." I until I eventually won her over. So it, it leads me to believe that Catherine is settling for is, him. Is settling for him. She had all these other guys that broke her heart and so she finally just decided to marry the person the safe choice. Yeah, and sure. and that's one of the reasons why I feel that she it 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 made it so believable for me that she would go for Almazy, even though he's such a complete douchebag, because it sounds like in her past she would choose guys that would pr- most likely break her heart. So, I, I I appreciate that the despite his prickliness, that she would find this intriguing and arousing. Not to mention, obviously, Ralph finds is a, is a very handsome man. Yeah, is he ever handsome in this movie? By yeah, the way, yeah, I know, right? This. Yeah. <laughs> This Jordan might... and I were di- Jordan and I were discussing how we can't stop seeing him as Voldemort. I don't know if you know this. He plays he's I, I like do the know primary that. antagonist from the fourth movie on in Harry Potter, basically. So uh, we had a tough time not seeing him as Voldemort, but uh, he's very handsome in this movie. It's funny for me because I actually have a hard time not seeing him as Amon Goth from Schindler's List. Right. Yeah. That that's what I recognize. Anytime I see him, I'm like, oh my god, it's Amon Goth. <laughs> <laughs> he's just really good at playing a dickhead i guess yeah um so for while you you didn't really connect with Catherine, what did you think of chris and scott thomas's performance again much like some of the other performances uh i i thought it was 
definitely all right. I, I thought um, I, I kind of stopped paying attention to <laughs> a lot, a lot uh, midway through this movie, but their their relationship, while kind of toxic, uh, you can at least feel their chemistry. I feel like mm-hmm. um, in the in the uh, bath scene that we were talking about between the two of them, um, I feel like she's uh, she's doing some very good acting in that sort of section of the movie. Um, and she does a good job of uh, telling Almacy that he's being an asshole after the uh, after the dinner scene that we were talking about previously, where yep. he's being a whiny little brat. Um, overall, I liked her performance. I, I don't think it was a standout from the bunch. Uh, I think that probably goes to Ray Fines, but I, I thought it was it was certainly all right. Okay, let's well, let's move on. We'll go through the the main ones. Juliette Binoche as Hannah. Uh, I I would echo your sentiments about her. I. I wouldn't have looked at her performance and been like, wow, what an Oscar-winning performance. But definitely good. Yeah. And William Defoe as Carvaggio? Yeah, I, I liked William Defoe. I think. Um, the, the character kind of fascinated me. It, it felt <laughs> like there was a lot going on with his character, but simultaneously nothing going on at all. Like, he had all these really interesting character traits and all these... In, very interesting backstories right and it just felt like in the modern timeline in, in like the timeline where uh almost he is wounded in bed yeah uh it just felt like he wasn't really doing much at all wouldn't you have uh, rather seen a caravaggio movie yeah he's had this super interesting life the scene <laughs> of the scene of him being interrogated and he gets his thumbs cut off that's a that's a killer scene yes it that's is. a really good scene yes uh uh but yeah i, I thought willem dafoe uh brought a lot of breathed a lot of life into the character i i was a fan of that performance personally one of the better ones in the movie in my opinion wicked and the last one i'll tell well i got i'll got two more uh naveen andrews as kip Again, uh, quite an interesting character. I felt a little bit underutilized. If uh, definitely not bad. I he's he's what probably like fifth or sixth build on this movie. Yep. I felt like I felt like I was left wanting more, which is probably a good thing. Uh, another side note: Wouldn't you have loved to have seen a uh, Navi- uh, a Kip and uh, Maddox movie about them disarming bombs in World War Two? Yeah. <laughs> Give me that spinoff any day. I'm there. Uh, and then the last performance. Uh, oh, I'll, well, I'll touch on Kip. I I really enjoyed Kip. I remember when this movie came out. I found it. I, I guess uh, for though for our listeners that don't know me, I am First Nations, and uh, Kip is a Sikh, as we find out. Uh, I found this to be refreshing that one of the romantic love interests wasn't white. Yeah, usually when you hear the term Oscar bait, like we were using to describe the English patient, that's usually, I guess you can call it a shorthand for primarily white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's a lot of attractive white people falling in love in this movie. So yeah, yeah I, I'm, I was the same way. I was really surprised to find uh, to find a, a Sikh Indian in one of the leading roles. Yeah, it was it really stood out to me a lot back in 1996, and I remember being impressed and giving the movie points for that. And mm-hmm. I still will to this day. I, of course, it's obviously in the book, so it wasn't like it was some great filmmaker's choice because it's based off a novel. But I, I really enjoyed that part. And I guess the last person we'll talk about is Colin Firth as Jeffrey Clinton. <laughs> I, I just said about Firth that he's 
not really portrayed as a flawed individual really at all. He's he, he's jealous, but I mean, who wouldn't be in in the spot that he's in? Well, he's not. Um, he's only. He's not. He's not je- I didn't find him to be jealous. I found him to be. He was completely fine and happy in his relationship until he discovers the affair. Yeah, that's a much better way of putting it. I agree. So. With that all being said, it's sort of ironic that I was kind of the least interested in him just mm-hmm. because he – he. I don't know. I didn't really find him to be particularly flawed. But, again, Colin Firth is a very talented actor. He can he can portray anyone interestingly. Um, yeah, I I wasn't wowed by the performance, but it, as with all of the performances in this movie, none of them stood out as being bad. I agree, and which I, is I, nice. I think Colin, Fir- Colin Firth was sort of – middle of the road for me didn't stand out as being oscar worthy or anything like that but certainly fine the one thing that i didn't really notice when i watched this movie until i watched it this time is Mm -hmm. actually the scene where he discovers his wife cheating he's going to surprise her on their anniversary and he pulls up to their hotel or apartment whatever it is Mm -hmm. and he sees her leaving and he watches her get into the car to drive away she goes and spends the night with almacy and then comes back, and he's still there. Was he just parked out front the whole night long? And he wasn't the one driving because he was being driven. So that driver have to sit there all night long with him? I mean, he is a rich motherfucker, isn't he? Yeah. You can probably pay that driver all night. Definitely, but like, I, felt, think they I played, felt bad for the driver. you think they played I Spy or anything like that? <laughs> Did they pass I sp- the time? I, yeah, he's, he went I Spy a cheating whore. Yeah. <laughs> it's your wife. Oh, you got her. Uh one of the <laughs> one of the other things that it it hurt my heart a little hurt my heart a little was the christmas party and elmazi fuck sent his wife <laughs> because jeffrey was that playing just ruins everyone's childhood yeah jeffrey was playing santa that's mrs claus you asshole show yeah. some fucking respect of course i'd fuck mrs claus if she looked like that but absolutely uh i do like there's that one shot uh where they they push in on the people singing, and you can see uh, through the stained glass them going at it. You can just see these two mm, figures moving. It's yeah. it's not – if you didn't know what was going on, you wouldn't know what was going on. But being the movie viewers, you know what's going on. You could – oh, I was just like, that's that's a nice touch. Yeah, I, again, goes out to the, the excellent uh, shot-taking of yes. this movie. The cinematography is fantastic. Uh, let's see. One other – a couple a couple scenes I just want to discuss that uh, really stood out to me. Uh, you already mentioned uh, Caravaggio's thumbs getting cut off, mm-hmm. the interrogation scene, one of the highlights of the film. The other – another scene that was really I, – I found it – romantic and lovely was uh kip taking hannah to the museum yes that's that's a, another great standout uh really great cinematography in there i love like i was just thinking though is when he was doing it i'm like fuck you set the bar for your for yourself pretty high kip that's that's gonna be a, a tough one to follow up on because that's yeah a, that's you, you really... save that one for like an anniversary not like a not like a first date yeah that's like what you gonna want for the like what happens the second date what happens when you just take her out for dinner because <laughs> yeah. she'll always like you remember that time you took me to the museum and built me a, a a rig so i could float up in the air with a flare and look at all this amazing artwork in the dark yeah. i i actually thought i thought it was a cathedral 
or was like the a church. Was it the cathedral? I, I, oh, yeah, because then at the end they have that line exchange with each other. I'll always go back to that church. Right, right. It was yeah. a church. Yeah, it's such. It's so beautifully shot, and it is. It's incredibly romantic in a completely non-sensual way. It's. Yeah. It's just such an amazing thing to do for somebody, and and the thought that Kat, that Kip would have had to put into building that rig and setting everything up. It was just. It's such a great and lovely kind of heartwarming scene yeah i that's how i knew i could never woo this person because <laughs> i would like going up that high and a lot trusting myself to hang off that rope uh, <laughs> scary shit well the other thing as well is you don't want to date hannah because that you're pretty much you, if you get too close to hannah you're going to die that's true that's literally like one of the first things that we hear her say in this movie yeah hannah becomes close with four people in this movie and three of them die not bad <laughs> i which side note i i actually like that aspect of the movie because there's a scene of um kip defusing a bomb yes later. uh and i i just i knew it wasn't even a debate in my mind i was like oh this is where kip dies this is this is his death scene it wasn't even up for debate i like the subversion of that yes i like how they set up this trope and subverted it it was it was a nice touch yeah it, and that's one of the highlight scenes of the movie for me is the is mm -hmm. the uh, the diffusing of the bomb. The let's see if there's any other. Uh, well, actually, yeah. The the last I guess maybe like the last fifteen twenty minutes are where this love story for me finally starts to resonate. The affair mm -hmm. didn't resonate with me. I didn't. I didn't. Like I said, I understood why Catherine would go for Almazi based on her past. But he's such a dick. I didn't care that she was with him. I didn't find them to be star-crossed lovers. I didn't. I couldn't wait for them to be together. I was just like, these two shitty people can be together. They do have that. I did like the one bath scene, like I said. Mm. But when Jeffrey tries to kill them all by crashing his plane, what a horrible way to go! Mm. And uh, a real again, beautifully shot. That plane crashing shot is spectacular. Very, very creative way to decide to murder somebody. Yeah. I mean, kind of a sh kind of a dick move to bring your wife along with you. Although, I mean, she started it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, very uh, very cinematic way of trying to kill someone. I'll give him that. Yeah. And then the – he takes – it just kind of <laughs> – it just kind of falls in line with uh, guys being complete dicks mm. after being rejected. Uh, Almazi's a dick at the dinner after he's rejected, and then uh, Jeffrey tries to kill everybody when he's rejected. So, yeah. uh, guys, uh, you need to uh, grow up. Take a chill pill, yeah. as they say. Yeah. Just understand you're going to hear the word no uh, from time to time, or you're not good enough. Just suck it up, princess, and get used to it. Let's uh, just briefly on the note of rejection in this movie. Yeah. Uh, that, that initial sex scene between the two of them is shall we say constructed in a way that would not fly in 2020 the the initial slap and her pu kind of pushing him away and then him just like kind of in like insisting i don't know if that would be put in a movie in 2020 oh i didn't find i didn't find it that way maybe uh, maybe i'm reading too much into it i i understand what you're trying to say i didn't read in I found her like her slap to be warranted, 
But then he falls yeah. to his, her, he falls to his knees and embraces her at her waist. Yeah. And then, and then she, kind of. If, if, I thought he kind of pulled her down to his level, right? Oh, I, I, you know what? I might have to rewatch it to so in, in ten to fifteen years, I'll get back to you on it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll set I'll set a note on. I didn't calendar. I didn't find it to be. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I didn't find it to be overly aggressive on his end. I found okay. her to be quite a willing participant. All right. Yeah. On first watch, came off moderately aggressive. Yeah, I and I can understand that. I think I'm. You know what? I'm probably am going to have to rewatch it to see if I if my memory is correct. But I mm. understand what you're trying to say. I also just want to briefly say while we're on the note of sex scenes, one of the notes I had on, I think, their second sex scene, because there's a lot. I guess there's not that many. I find it like really funny. Three. First of all, in the first sex scene, she, her being dressed in all white, the second that she walked into the room dressed in all white, I'm like, oh, they're, they're fucking this scene, for sure. That's just, that's just filmmaking 101. You want someone to look maiden-like and virginal, dress them in white, easy. Uh, and then in the second scene that they have sex she's dressed in all white again and she has a flower on her uh on her blouse and he literally takes the flower off like he's deflowering her and i just kind of rolled my eyes at that at the that's the third one that's the that's christmas the third one. one. Oh, sorry that, that's I've got the, it mixed up in my head. The, the first one is where he rips her dress right and that that's what we're talking about where she slaps him and he rips her dress mm-hmm. and then he and then he sews it back together what a gentleman yeah fellas Rip your rip your girlfriend's nice dress in half and see how happy she is about it. Yep, it's funny. I guarantee not nearly as happy as Catherine in this movie. It's funny because I I I was writing it when he rips the dress, because I again I don't remember the movie that well. He, I wrote down he rips her dress. That's a little much. Now how is she gonna get home? And as <laughs> I'm writing it, the next scene is him sewing together, and so it's all mm-hmm. scribbled out. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the first scene is that. The second is the bath scene. Right. Um, yeah, the bath scene, hair washing, and the what do you love scene. Uh, it's a scene I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then the third sex scene is the Christmas party where he fucks Santa's wife. <laughs> now, f- for those of you that haven't seen the movie and have just decided to listen to us ramble on about this movie for your own enjoyment, she's not dressed as Mrs. Claus, by the way. No. <laughs> I but But Jeffrey is dressed up as Santa Claus. And while he's out doling out presents to little boys and little girls and other soldiers, uh, she's being railed uh, in a back room. That might have been unintentionally hilarious, though, if they actually dressed her as Mrs. Claus <laughs> and it just came off as some like softcore porno. Uh, so yeah, so they have they have three sex scenes. Um, what I was getting to is the last part of the movie is again all this time I've. I don't feel anything for their love, but it's at the end, sadly, when the tragedy befalls that I actually start to care about them and see that he truly does care for her. He carries her into the cave and then decides that he's going to walk out of the desert to get help. And it's here when he comes across the other English soldiers that I start to like, I actually start to feel for this guy, and it it just for for me it was just kind of a reinforcement of the great performance that uh, Rafe was giving because 
for like I said, for two hours and 20 minutes, this guy's been a complete douchebag, and I didn't give a shit. But now I do, so I'll tip my cap to him. And that scene is so frustrating because <laughs> you're just like, he's he's so pleasant. I was like, why couldn't this guy been this character the whole movie? He's mm. so pleasant and trying to get his point across. And these two English guys are kind of being douchebags back to him. I guess karma's a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, just listen to him because I don't want I don't want Catherine to die. Mm. And then uh, there's uh, the one famous shot of him being driven away, and just as they're going into that tunnel, it's I think it's I think there's music playing over top of it because he kind of screams and yells, but you don't really hear it. It's uh it's one of the shots that I always kind of remember in the movie. And then he. <laughs> To prove, uh, not shouldn't say prove, but because of his love for his lady, uh, he betrays his fellow countrymen uh, to the Nazis, so he can get a plane to go get her dead body. That's while true to his character, a bit much. <laughs> a little a much. bit much. Committing uh, war crimes for love is not ex- not <laughs> not an excuse, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and the last part of the movie again. There's that really great shot again, and I think just really great acting by Ray Fiennes as he's carrying her out. Uh, the score is playing, and he's like screaming, obviously in both uh, heartbreak and anger and frustration that he couldn't get there. It's it's just a really great, uh, just a, a great performance. And then I also thought of like, what a shitty way to go for her, especially when that light starts to go out. In the cave, dying of dying probably of dehydration. Yeah, in the dark, alone. Yeah, in the cold. Ugh. Yeah, that's that's bottom of the list for me. Yeah, and then we get to another horrible, like I shouldn't, well, horrible scene, but Count Elmazi asking Hannah to kill him. Like you're, and Hannah's a, a really nice girl, but the whole time as he's pushing the bottles of morphine to her, to you know, like, OD me. You can see that she, like, she in her heart, she knows it would be the best for him. Like, put him out of his misery. But the guilt that she would carry for killing a man when her entire profession is about saving lives, I'm like, you're asking so much of somebody. Yeah, I don't know if I would be able to do that. I even even the old wrinkly scarred living corpse of Ray Fiennes. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. Which it is was, why I'm not a nurse. Well, I, th- I guess you, make me a good You nurse. know what? In all honesty, this is where I think Juliette Binoche may have won her Oscar is in that scene. Because you can see her wrestling with the decision in her mind and the way it overwhelms her. So this is one scene where I could see where it's Oscar worthy. It's just, kind of, I guess, kind of the rest of it. I guess, well... You know, she is quite delightful in, in that cathedral scene, but the rest is fine. But but that scene where Almazi asks – and the best part is that he doesn't even verbally ask. Yeah, I, I love – I really do love the shot of him sliding the morphine towards her. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and that – then we're, we're, we're at the end. The, the English patient has died. In record time. In record time. <laughs> for our podcast not for the movie yeah uh i think pretty much i covered everything there's the last thing i want to touch on not even important to the movie but uh sandstorms always scared me as a kid 
Yeah, I started uh, when the sandstorm started up. I started humming uh, "Sandstorm" by Darude to myself. If you know that song, <laughs> I <Start do>. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's how into this movie I was. <laughs> that's fucking spectacular. Is there yeah. anything that we didn't touch on you want to get onto before I get into the other shit? Um, I don't think so. I'm looking through my notes right now. Um, we didn't talk a ton about a lot of the dialogue, but there was just some some moments in the dialogue that I I really did not care for the dialogue in this movie. It really came off as pretentious in a lot of points for me. What there was uh there was a pun that he made about uh, about it being a very plum plum where my eyes rolled into the back of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a sequence well where I I think. I think it's Catherine saying, let me tell you about wind. Oh, no, it's, sorry, it's, uh, it's Almacy saying, let me tell you about wind. And they talk about all the different kinds of winds. Could not be bothered to care about that scene. Uh, it's just there, there was just a number of, of moments of the dialogue in this movie that really kind of irked me. Okay, fair enough. Fair, uh, to me, like all the stuff you said, to me it just really just kind of reinforces the fact that this was taken right from a novel. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Um. Okay, I got some trivia for you. Not a lot. A couple thing. A couple things you might like, but probably some other things you don't give a shit about. But the first one, <laughs> uh, the first one actually kind of surprised me, which I liked. Uh, the Germans who shoot Almazi's plane down at the beginning were actually tourists who were roped into the production because they couldn't afford any more extras. <laughs> That's funny. Um, writer and director Anthony Mangello's first cut of the movie was four hours and ten minutes long. Some Return of the King bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2005, Juliette Binoche had her Oscar touched up by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Her three-year-old son was fond of playing with it, and it had subsequently become tarnished and peeling. One of the perks of being an Oscar winner is that you can have your Oscar repaired for free by the Academy. I did not know that, actually. Neither did I. Uh, this uh, this is actually the first digitally edited movie to win an Academy Award for Best Film Editing. Walter Murch is the per- is the editor who won, and he began editing the movie mechanically, but then switched to the Avid system after his son suffered a medical emergency so that he could work from his house while his son recovered. Murch writes about the experience in his book, In the Blink of an Eye. So this is the first digitally edited movie to win Best Film Editing. I have to imagine editing must have been such a tedious job uh, before before digital media. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I didn't write it in my notes, but I think there's 40 different time cuts like going back and forth in time in this movie. Jesus. Yeah. So the the film editing Oscar which we'll get into when we do our Oscar retrospective and year review, uh this was worthy of that win. While again, you and I both found this movie to be a little boring. Uh, I can't deny that the editing in it is really well done. Nor can I. Uh, And the last one I have here for trivia, uh, Hannah is very distressed when Kip is called on to disarm a bomb since she fears she will never see him again because she is a living and walking curse. Uh, When Kip is with the bomb, he reads off its serial number, which starts with K-K-I-P. The bomb literally has his name on it. Not a good omen. Nope. Uh, Casting what ifs. I have uh, Bruce Willis was actually originally offered the role of David Carvaggio. Uh, He was talked out of it by his then agent. 
uh, Sir Sean Connery was actually considered playing the part of Caravaggio, uh, but he backed out of production. And then there was another person that turned down the role of Count Laszlo de Almazi. And I would have been interested in his take on it because I could definitely see him in this role. And I think you could as well as soon as I say his name. It's our good friend. Dan Lewis? Dan Lewis. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I I mean, you could put Sir Daniel Day-Lewis into any movie, and I would be interested in his take on any given character, basically. Yeah, I, I agree. This is uh, – I, I definitely could see him – His have you seen The Phantom Thread? No. Okay, I, I feel that these these two characters were would be are are similar. They would be friends. I think they would be. I think they mm. would be. Um, all right, you weren't a big fan of the dialogue. Do you have a favorite quote? Uh, yeah, I was trying to go through some candidates, but really, um, Willem Dafoe's line reading of "Don't cut me" uh, during the interrogation scene. Oh, uh, well done. Was was really 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 good. Uh, that's gonna be my favorite quote. I think. Okay, I have three, and I'm pretty sure I know which one I'm going to pick, but I'll go through them. Um, the first one is a little bit romantic one, where Almazi says to Catherine, you're wearing the thimble. It's when he's carrying her after the plane crash, and she goes, of course, you idiot. I always wear it. I've always worn it. I've always loved you. It's a very sweet and tender moment. Uh, too bad it happens at the two-hour and 20-minute mark of the film. Yeah, at that point, I'd already kind of checked out. Yeah. Uh, the next one uh, is another one between Almazi and Catherine. Uh, it's a really great uh, uh, exchange of lines. Uh, it is in the bathroom. It is in the bath scene, uh, hair washing scene. Um, when were you most happy? Now. And when were you least happy? Now. I really like that. And the last one is between um, Hannah and Almazi. Uh, Hannah says, there's a man downstairs. He brought us eggs. He might stay. And Almazi, why? Can he lay eggs? <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. I did like it. Uh, I think for me, I'm honestly going to pick um, when were you most happy now and when were you least happy now as my favorite quote of the movie. Okay. Uh, your favorite scene? I did manage to come up with some candidates for uh, this one. Okay. Uh, we were just talking about Kip defusing the bomb. Yep. That's uh, definitely a candidate. Uh, the cathedral scene uh, was very beautiful, very well shot, and very romantic. Yes. Um, and uh, I already touched on Caravaggio's interrogation. That's a very intense scene, one of the better ones in the movie. I think I'm going to have to go with the interrogation. I really enjoyed that scene. It was the most my blood pumped in the entire movie, probably. So I'm going to go with that. Nice. I have four. Okay. Um, I really, like I've said before, and I've said throughout the episode, uh, I really did enjoy the path, the bath, and the hair washing scene between Catherine and Almazi. I found that to be very uh, sensual and uh, romantic. Uh, the disarming of the bomb with Kip is an incredibly well crafted scene. The I do I love the interrogation scene with Caravaggio, and there's this little kind of comedic scene with. I'm pretty sure it's after their first affair, after he's ripped the dress, and uh, Almazi, Catherine asks uh, about a song that's playing on the record, and Almazi starts breaking it down for her, and it sounds really sweet, and then he keeps going, and you realize that he's just telling her their story, and she <laughs> finally clues in, and she gets angry, 
And it's a nice little joke and a nice little moment between the two of them that I really enjoyed. Um, But if I'm going to pick a favorite scene, I'm going to go with the uh, disarming of the bomb. That would be my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, I think that's a good pick for sure. Uh, Closing credits for for the movie, I've... Like I mentioned to Sam off air, I've changed them up just a little bit for the Oscar contenders here. So the first one, do you feel that the Oscar nominated performance were worthy of their nominations? And there's three of them with uh, Ray Fiennes, Juliette Binoche and Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah, without having uh, delved into the other movies quite yet, I I think we basically stated that. Ray Fiennes and his performance are one of the highlights of the movie, even if the character is a little bit unpleasant. Um, Juliette Binoche, without having seen any of the other movies, uh, was definitely not bad and has some very uh, very emotional scenes towards the end. Mm-hmm. Probably is at least worthy of the nomination. Uh, and sorry, who was the third one? Kristen Scott Thomas as K as Catherine. Yeah. Honestly, uh, of the three, probably the one I'm the most lukewarm on. But again, I can't even be mad about it. Yeah, I'm the same. I think Ray Fiennes completely uh, garnered and is worthy of his nomination. Juliette Binoche is just fine in the supporting role as Hannah. There's definitely some really great moments, especially when she wrestles with the decision on whether or not to uh, uh, to help Almazi commit suicide. Or I guess it's not suicide. Yeah, she's killing him uh, to commit yeah. murder. Basically, uh, even though it's Ass- assisted suicide, right? Is that what you're calling it? I don't know. She's not. Isn't that the technical term? Is it the technical term? I uh, guess so. He's he's asking for it. Right? Yeah. Well, okay. I think it's assisted suicide. Okay, sure. Let's just say she assassinates him. Um, let's let's go with that. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's 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 fine. I don't like you said. There's no weak performances in this film. Thank God, because that would have made this even more tedious than it already was. Yes. Um. So I th- I think the refines 100% worthy. This is a fairly weak year. Maybe when I get into the retrospective, I can take a look back and see if there's other performances in the supporting actress and actress category. So those two would get bumped out. But for right now, I I'd have to say I guess they're somewhat. Uh, Benoche. I'm fairly certain is worthy. Kirsten Scott Thomas, I'm a little hesitant on. Mm-hmm. Um, probably an easy answer for both of us on this one. Do you feel the technical nominations were worthy? I, I think no-brainer, basically. Yeah, 100% agree. We barely even touched on the makeup, but how good is the makeup in this movie? Oh, both, thank you, right. When, both when he initially gets burned and when he's all scarred up after the fact. Both just so fucking good. Yeah, and it, even more so considering this is, what, 24 years ago? Yeah, holds up incredibly well. Yeah, holds up incredibly well. Uh, We both – well, you really enjoyed the score. I I found it – I didn't find it anything. I I honestly don't really remember it. I don't remember it in specifics, but I do remember that it captures the moments correctly. Yeah. Like it it helps – it does help heighten every scene and stuff like that. So the technical nominations were definitely worthy. Uh. I think I know your answer on the next one, but who or what was the weak link of the film? Um, I don't even know my answer on this one. There's a number that a number of things that I could pick. I would just say the the, the writing, I guess. The uh, you could either go with the dialogue or the story. I just I could not invest myself in the in the love story between the two of them. Um, and I, I didn't particularly care for the dialogue. I would have to go with the writing if I was to choose anything. I'm gonna I'm gonna echo that statement. I think the writing in this is 
fairly poor, especially when it comes to dialogue. Like I said, the technical achievements uh, were, are, are outstanding, but the the weak link of the film is, is the dialogue. Uh, was this anyone's career highlight? Uh, I mean, maybe for the director? I don't even no. know his name off the top of my head. Anthony Mangella, no. He, what else did he do? Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley. Mm, okay. Which I think is probably his best film. Uh, this might be, could possibly be Juliette Binoche's career highlight. Could be argued. Wow, she's. I, I think all of the, especially between Rafe Fiennes and Willem Dafoe, their careers continued on with much success after this. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I know that. For a lot of people, commercially, obviously, Ray Fiennes' career highlight commercially would be Voldemort. But I, th- I personally think his career highlight is Amon Goth in Schindler's List. I think from a from a film perspective, that's probably correct. If we're talking, you know, dollar bills, then pro- it's probably Voldemort. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anthony Mangella. Well, he only did not. He only directed nine movies. Uh, he passed away uh in 2008 um mm. but he did another movie in 2003 called cold mountain that i actually really enjoyed that's uh, where uh renee zellweger got her first oscar um other than that kristen scott thomas she might be someone let me take a quick peek at her filmography yeah, I'm actually not familiar with her from a whole lot, to be honest with you. Oh, uh, she's in The Darkest Hour. Uh, oh, she's in our favorite, Gosford Park. Oh, God, right. She was in that. Um, she was in oh, Life is a House. That's uh, one of T-Bone's favorite movies of all time. So this actually might – it's – oh, she well, she's in I, – I, I guess – we're a little ways off, but she's in four weddings and a funeral, but I don't know of the size of that port. Horse Whisper, I remember. Horse Whisper was a pretty big hit in 1998. Hmm. So this could end up being her... This could end up being her... Uh, this is the only time she's ever nominated for an Oscar, so... I'd say... It- of anyone in this movie, she's probably the most likely to have this beer career highlight. Yeah, definitely. Um, who or what was the MVP of the film? I have a hard time. I'm going to have a hard time choosing between two. Uh, yeah, I think for me, my gut tells me it's Mr. John Seal, the cinematographer. I think uh, he made this movie uh, much better than it otherwise would have been. Yeah, it's for me. It's between the cinematography by John Seal or Ray Fiennes' performance. So I'm probably gonna go with you because while I, when I think back on this film, I usually think about how beautiful it looks more than. It was actually only upon the rewatch that I was reminded of how good Ray Fiennes is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the reason I would go with the cinematography over Ray Fiennes is simply because I wasn't always enamored with Almasy as a character, even though he was being well performed. Um, so I think uh, John Seal did more for the movie and for my enjoyment personally. Uh, yeah, than uh, John Seal. This uh, this is his only Oscar win, but he has shot some amazing movies. He did this one little movie. Uh, he was a he's the cinematographer on this one movie that was kind of okay to look at called Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, a, an average looking movie, 
nothing to bat an eyelash at, but it, yeah. it was fine. We'll actually be uh, covering one of his other movies uh, down the road as he was a cinematographer on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Hmm. Uh, yeah, he's he's got some he's got some pretty good looking films in here. Looking at Dead Poet Society. Yep. Gorillas in the Mist, uh, Ghosts of Mississippi, The American President, uh, Witness, which I just watched a little while ago. Um, yeah, he's uh, his films. His films are 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 pretty good. Right on. He's got a good eye. Uh, what will be or is this film's legacy? Uh, the legacy, like we said off the bat, is one of oscar bait it is one of the most melodramatic movies to win best picture in recent memory and we have been watching a lot of best picture nominees yes and a lot of best picture winners and i can safely say that in the last nearly 30 years uh this is probably the most overly self-important overly romantic overly Oscar Beatty movies that we have watched. I I could not agree more. I like I remember I when I told what I think it was last week or even leading up to this, I kept telling you, I'm like, when you watch this movie, you will see why it won. Mm. You will wish it hadn't won, but you will see why. This movie is if in my opinion, the very definition of an Oscar Bait movie. And we'll talk about it more next week with Fargo. And I, Fargo's the only one of these four movies that I had seen before this series. But I, it just baffles me after having watched this movie that anyone could think this is a better movie than Fargo. <laughs> it, I, it blows my mind. I'm actually really surprised when I knew this question, I was going to be asking this question for this film. I'm actually surprised that your answer on what this film's legacy will be, I was really surprised you didn't say that Seinfeld episode. Oh, you know what? That's that's another perfectly good answer as well. Uh, I I think anyone who is a Seinfeld fan has to have seen that episode. It's 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 got to be one of the more famous ones. Yeah, I think so. That's a good answer as well. I think. Yeah, for for me, this film's legacy will be for for me the the legacy of this film will be this is one of the most boring Best Picture winners of all time in in my, in my lifetime since I started watching movies. This is. It'd be interesting to kind of look back and definitely something we could maybe do uh, once we finish the 90s decade is to just rank the 10 best picture winners, one through 10. And I'm pretty much going to guarantee this would be number 10. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not fantastic. Uh, next question, I'm pretty sure you know the answer. Would you watch this movie again? Not unless I had a really good reason to. And I can't think of a better reason than watching it for my good friend on our podcast. <laughs> That's about the best reason I can think of. I wish that I could say that I would not watch this movie again, but I know that in about 10 to 15 years, I'm going to start – the thoughts are going to start creeping back into my mind. Was this movie as boring as I remember it? And I'm going to plug it in. So I'm going to say, would I watch this movie again? Not anytime soon. But you I, should get you should get don't rewatch the English patient tattooed on your wrist so you don't forget. <laughs> well, I'll put a sticky note on the cover of the Blu-ray because I yeah, do cause not rewatch because I own this movie. Yeah. Um. And so the last question: Would you recommend this movie to friends? 
probably not. It, there, I can, I'm trying to think of some friends that I, I, I can think of maybe one or two people who would maybe get some enjoyment out of this. And again, this movie does have a very high Rotten Tomato score, so it's obviously popular. Um, what's, so, the, what's the audience score? It was like in the mid-80s. It was like 85, the audience score. I, I think critic score was 85 and audience score was 83, something like that. Uh, oh, what, what are you are you looking on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, that's what oh, I was okay. Looking. I'm looking at IMDb. Oh, okay. so Metascore is 87. Mm. Uh, IMDb user score is 7.4. So still pretty high. Okay, yeah, a little bit lower, but still pretty high. So I'm sure I could, if I really went into my Rolodex, which I don't own, but <laughs> if I if I really went into my contact list on my phone, I'm sure I could find a few people that would like this movie. But generally, there's just so many better romantic movies out there. Yeah. There's there's endless amounts. Uh, so this, I, I don't think I could recommend this to a friend. It, it certainly wouldn't be my first recommendation if they're looking for a romantic movie. I would not recommend this movie to friends. I would never subjugate. I, I, I know that there are definitely a couple people I could think of that would probably or slash maybe enjoy this film. But I can, I can easily recommend... 30 other ones off the top of my head before I recommend this film. I think one of the important things to know before you recommend a film to somebody is what it is that people enjoy about it. Mm -hmm. And I just flat, I've just watched this movie two days ago and I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about this movie that people liked to the tune of 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. No, I should, you know what I should have done is I should have looked up, you know what? Hold on. (laughs) While you, Okay, so we're done that. So why don't you, why don't you give me your final thoughts on the English okay. patient? Final thoughts on the English patient. Look, I tried. I really did. <laughs> I, I tried to come into this movie as blind as possible and to forget everything that I know about it before I went in to really give it a fair shot, to give it a fair shake. And it just didn't work. It happens sometimes. Sometimes you just watch a bad movie. And that's what it is. And it's even unfair calling it a bad movie because it's obviously very well constructed. It's just boring. It's boring as hell. I don't ever want to watch this movie again. It was, I was checking the time every couple of minutes by the end of it. It was, it was just not enjoyable for me. More power to you if you like this movie. If if you can get enjoyment out of it, I, I don't blame you one bit. And that's not to say it's without merit. The technical aspects of it are beautiful. The makeup is insanely good. The cinematography is drop-dead gorgeous, as we've said. I personally love the score of this movie uh, a little bit more than Manny. But outside of that, I struggle to find enjoyable things about this movie outside of the performances, which all in all are pretty good. So, yeah, the legacy of The English Patient will, uh, will live on, in my head at least, as probably one of the more overrated best pictures best picture winners in recent memory okay give me one quick second i want to you we were both kind of wondering um curses okay we'll do it this way what people were thinking of the english patient so i looked up uh roger ebert's review of the english patient he gave it four out of four stars Roger Ebert. Yeah. So here's uh, – I'll just read you like the last little bit on of his review. Um, 
this movie will hold your attention the first time through with its story and then force you to think back through everything you thought you'd learned after it is revealed what the story is really about. Uh, the performances are of great clarity, which is a help to us in finding our way through the story. It's He absolutely loved this movie. And then I grabbed uh, the review of uh, a writer for Entertainment Weekly. His name is Owen Gleiberman. He's a, a film reviewer that I've, I used to read a lot. Uh, he gave this a B, this, this film a B, and he, would, he also, within the letters, gave it grades as well. So there are B minuses and B pluses and stuff to give you an idea. But his, right. his final thoughts, the English patient, a remote and at times faintly oppressive experience. It's a movie that lusts for catharsis yet never quite gets there because for all of its bitter romantic anguish, it ultimately coalesces in your head rather than your heart. Okay. So those are the those are two critics that I read a lot that uh, th- those are their thoughts on it. I tried. Yeah, Ebert in particular is just incredibly well known and held in high regard uh, by uh, film snobs like us. Uh, just a, another quote for uh, from Ebert. Uh, Backward into memory, forward into loss and desire, the English patient searches for answers that will answer nothing. This poetic, evocative film version of the famous novel by the guy's name I won't pr- try and pronounce circles down mm. through layers of mystery until all of the puzzles in the story have been solved and only the great wound of a doomed love remains. It is the kind of movie you can see twice, first for the questions the second time for the answers. I gotta, I gotta disagree with Raj on that one. <laughs> Again, more power to you if you like this movie as much as Roger Ebert did, but yeah. I, I didn't get any of that. Uh, my final thoughts. I was looking forward to revisiting this. As I said, every ten years or so, I tend to get. Uh, of a fuzzy recollection of this film. And so I need to be reminded on how boring it was. <laughs> and this time I wasn't quite as bored as I thought I was going to be. It has some moments. I really enjoyed some really great scenes, but this movie's just far too long. And it has two lead characters that I don't really care about because they're complete fucking douchebags and pretentious pricks. And it isn't until the last 20 to 30 minutes of the film do I actually care about their relationship with one another when one of them is dead. And so it's, it's, it's unfortunate because it's a bit of a waste of an incredible performance by Ray Fiennes. Uh, the, the technical aspects of this film are jaw-dropping and completely worthy. Like I said, and I've stated numerous times throughout today's episode, this movie is just Oscar bait at its finest. Uh, I, I stated to Sam, I'll say to anybody, if you want to watch a movie, if you watch this movie, you can see why it won all of its awards and why it won Best Picture, even though you will disagree with that selection. Sam, your rating on the 1996 Best Picture winner, The English Patient. I have my prediction, mm-hmm. but what is your selection? I've been going back and forth a lot on this, and I've been thinking a lot about what we've said constitutes a two. Now, I've been very stingy about giving out anything less than a three, especially for a movie that I know is good. And I know that The English Patient is at least good. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Maybe that's even too strong. Uh, But 
we've talked a lot about recommendability, rewatchability, and I usually talk about the uh, difference between a three and a two being a three is a good movie with problems and a two is a bad movie with moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is closer to a two. If there was a two and a half on our sliding scale, <laughs> I probably would select it. But given that we do not allow half points around here, that's we're, making I, tough, that's, we're making that, the tough decision. That's right. This is a tough decision. And I feel I almost feel guilty giving a best picture winner a two. But I can't in good faith give this movie a three because I don't want to watch it again. I don't want to recommend it to anyone. And I think it is more bad than good with some very good moments in it and some very good aspects of it. I, I think this is a two. I love that rationale. And that's exactly what I guess is that you would give it a two. Yeah. I'm I'm on the fence with you, but I'm going to slide mine into a three. Mm-hmm. And the only reason mine makes it as a three is that if I give something a three, I'm probably going to watch it again, which I've stated I know I'm going to do with this movie. I know I'm going to watch it again. Would I recommend it to people? Fuck no. <laughs> but all the technical aspects of this film – are so incredibly great that I just can't give it – I just can't give it a two. I'm like on the flip side of you. I really want to give this movie a two because it does have so many problems and so many things I didn't quite enjoy. But there's just so many good things about this movie on the technical aspect that I can't give it that two. I love that you did, and I knew that you would. Like I, As soon as I was watching it, I'm like, Sam's not going to like this movie. No. Um, and and – yeah, uh, it's a three for me. I love that you gave it a two. I felt had to make the tough decision. Awesome. Can't al- can't always be sunshine and rainbows around here. So true, Sam. Uh, as we were uh, doing the episode, I did want to I I did check on something that we were talking about at the top of the show, okay. and I do want to say that your your memory is much better than mine. Michael Sarah was second billed in Juno. Oh, yeah, really? He, he did get second billing. So, not often in my personal life that I get commended for uh, having a great memory. That's not something that usually happens to me. Yeah, I th- I'm I'm this is what I'm going to guess is going to happen. I guess I could probably easily look it up is I'll bet you that Superbad came out before Juno. Okay. And so with the explosion and the commercial and critical success of Superbad exploding and Michael Sarah's profile being raised that his billing went up on Juno to help sell the movie. I remember seeing Michael Sarah in so much of the marketing in Juno when it came out. I don't remember seeing Jason Bateman in any of it. Yeah, Jason Bateman's actually he's not on the poster. Yeah. He's he's not even billed on the poster. It's uh, it your your recollection was like JK Simmons is on the poster. Really? And Bateman is not. By the way, what a dr- I didn't even talk about that off the top. What a dream parenting combo in that movie. Al- Allison Janney and J.K. Simmons, are you kidding me? I know, right? Just so much talent in one family. I'm just going to qu- I just want to quickly see if my recollection of those are correct. Okay, so of, Juno of Juno came out Oh fuck yeah. Juno came out in December. Superbad came out in August. So yeah, there you go. Good. Plenty of time to change the marketing. Yeah, yeah. On the poster, it goes Ellen Page, Michael Sarah, Jennifer Garner. Oh, there's Jason Bateman. He's fourth build. Mm. And then Allison Janney and J.K. Simmons. Okay, I just I just wanted to point that out that you were definitely right. I was. I'll, I'll take the W where I can get it. I was definitely wrong. 
Okay. I think my recollection of uh, Jason Bateman's fame, I think I'm just thinking more nowadays with his, you know, his roles in, you know, Horrible Bosses and Game Night and Ozark. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Sam, what's next week? Next week, we're talking about a better movie than The English Patient. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, it is the 1996 Best Picture Loser, which I guess... <laughs> Nominee. <laughs> Nominee. Oh, is that what they call it? Excuse me. Uh, we're talking about Fargo next week. I am very excited. It has. It is actually a movie that I've seen multiple times and recently. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this one. I, we haven't really had a whole lot of chances to talk Coen Brothers, I don't think. Just No Country. No. Yeah, Just No Country for Old Men. So, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to, to get back into the Coen Brothers here. Uh, they're, they're a couple of artists that I, I really respect, and they, they're making very unique films. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting, I think. Yeah, I'm very excited to rewatch this. I actually think it's been longer that I've seen Fargo since the last time I watched The English Patient. I I cannot recall when I last saw Fargo. Really? I'm a big fan of Fargo. Yeah. So I'm excited to rewatch it. I'm excited to talk about it to see if I enjoy it as much now as I did back then. Okay. So next week we do have Fargo. For those of you listening, if you could please just take 30 seconds of your time to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us that five-star rating, it does increase the profile of our of our podcast, allows more people to find us. And if you're ever sitting around talking about podcasts, why don't you mention us to your friends? Allow more people to listen to us. We would love to get some more listeners just because I am completely narcissistic and want more people to listen to me. So – if you could do that, we would be greatly appreciated, and we do really appreciate those of you that are listening and that are offering your feedback. We truly do appreciate you. For the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. To quote Elaine from Seinfeld, what was bad about The English Patient? Only that it sucked. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!